Welcome to Encounter Grace, where we come face to face with God's work in the world for our good. Join host Jason McKnight as we explore practical issues of community, theology, and leadership in everyday life. Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Encounter Grace. My name is Ben Hendricks, and I'm here with Jason McKnight. And this week you find yourself in Holy Week, where this past Sunday we celebrated Palm Sunday. Coming up this Thursday is Monday Thursday, then Friday is Good Friday, and then all the way the pinnacle, Easter Sunday, the day of the resurrection. And so maybe like me that you found yourself in different moments where you've, you're caught in a bit of a tension in Holy Week. As we look forward to celebrating the resurrection, we're caught in a tension between a fact we know and a belief we hold. We all know that dead people don't rise, <laughs> but we all believe that Jesus did. Hmm. Can we really believe this? Is this just another case of wishful thinking that if we say it enough times, then maybe we'll actually believe it? Is this just a matter of blind faith, something we have to believe, but we can't really know? Or is this something more? Is there truth to it? Is there a fact to it? Is there things that we can remind ourselves to know that this is true and it actually did happen? Well, today, this is exactly what we want to talk about, that if you've found yourself in a place where you've wrestled with this, you've questioned this, you've wondered about this, that yes, you believe it, but maybe you want something a little bit more tangible to hold on to. We have Jason here who's going to walk <laughs> us through some of these helpful ways of things that we can really hold on to, the foundations mm -hmm. that ground us not in just the world of spirituality or in a place where we just have to believe hard enough, but a place where is based in facts and reality. So Jason, thank you so much for just for walking us through this. Well, it's a lot of fun. And Ben, let me just tell you, you need to write copy like that. That introduction was crafted so beautifully <laughs> because you're exactly right. Like we live in the tension of the knowledge, the fact that people don't rise, mm -hmm. but we all say somebody rose and it made all the difference and it changed mm -hmm. the world. So how do we do this? <clears throat> I don't think any of us, uh, any person ever, wants to live naively. I, I, mm. Nobody wants to live and discover later, oh, I believe the wrong thing and everybody else knew it and I blew it. Mm. Like we want reasons for why, what we build our lives on. And we, in it, the gospel says that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the empty tomb is the fact that has changed all of history and eternity. But the question is, can we be confident of that historically. Mm. Like, let's get out of Sunday school. Let's get out of a seminary classroom. Let's get out of a Bible study and go into the history classroom and go into the academy. Is mm. there historical evidence or what kind of a historical case is there for the empty tomb, for mm. the fact that Jesus rose? Or is it just wishful thinking? So let's figure this out. Well, first of all, there's three things everybody knows, everybody agrees on. And then there's three more things everybody knows, everybody agrees <laughs> on. But the first three are before his death. <laughs> mm. So we got we to gotta put them there because everything in history is context. Mm. So by the way, there's different types of knowledge. Uh, you, you can have empirical knowledge, scientific knowledge, where you can repeat an experiment yep. and get the same answer. And then you say you formulate a theorem. And that's science where you can repeatably observe something, and now you can say, well, this is how the world works. There's experiential knowledge where you know your mom's love, but it's because you feel it, you know it, you've experienced it. It's a little bit different than 
empirical knowledge. Yeah. Okay, well, there's a third kind of knowledge, and, and there's four and five and six, seven, two as well, but um, a third kind of knowledge is historical knowledge. And the nearest thing we can think of is when you're reconstructing a crime scene in a court of law, you're really, what you're doing is you're dealing in historical knowledge. You're, yeah. you're trying to say what actually happened on the night of March 26th, you know, or whatever yeah. it is. And, and they, they bluster around the courtroom, I object and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's what we're kind of doing here. What, what is the court case? Is it just wishful thinking or what is, what would we be reconstructing in the court case? Yeah. Three things everyone agreed to, everyone agrees about before Jesus died, which affect how we look at after Jesus dies. Number one is just about everybody, I mean, I would say uh, the, only the most um, nihilistic or hardened skeptic would say Jesus did not live. Yeah. But everybody else agrees that Jesus lived, a guy named Jesus of Nazareth. The second thing is everybody agrees that people knew about Jesus in his day, and he had a following, and he had detractors. So two groups of people kind of related to Jesus. On the one hand, people who end up being in his follower camp. And then there's another group, people who end up being detractors or against him. And frankly, most of those people were in the establishment hmm. of Jerusalem or of Palestine, whether it's the Pharisees, or the Sadducees, these, these religious leaders, or even the Roman government, Pilate and the centurions and all those stuff. So, yeah. Yes, Jesus lived. Yes, people knew about him in his day. Nobody made him up 100 years later and inserted him back into the story. Yeah. People knew about him in his day. Followers or detractors. Third thing everyone agrees about before Jesus' death is this. He was crucified. Mm -hmm. There's no argument about that. I, yeah, go ahead. I, I just find it interesting. And one thing that I think we always need to remind ourselves, and you said it was, I mean, this idea of how, like, if we, need to, if we look at it, how often and how much Jesus was actually written about across the board of, and through history. I mean, all the way from exactly his followers, but also his detractors. Some of the, mm -hmm. the clearest place of understanding that this guy's not some made-up guy, mm -hmm. but with people who were avidly against the movement, avidly and had every good reason to be, right, for power, for all, all kinds of other reasons, but were writing of him. I mean, this is a, this is a historical person. It's a historical person, there's no doubt about it, including that he was known, and then thirdly, including his crucifixion. Yep. Nobody says, well, he just went off into the desert, nobody saw him again. <laughs> like everybody says, and he hung on a cross. Yep. And nobody wanted to hang on a cross. You see, we think of cross as jewelry, we think of cross as religious symbolism. In those days, it's the electric chair. Yep. I mean, it's lethal injection, but worse because it's supposed to humiliate you. It's supposed to strike fear and terror into anyone who witnesses it. It's mm -hmm. horrific and, and horrible. And so the fact that someone that was portrayed as a leader and a teacher and a healer and, and a Messiah maybe for those who follow him, um, the fact that he was crucified is a huge deal that, uh, well, clearly this guy's a failure. But everybody knew about it. So those are three facts. He lived, yeah. he, has, he was known, and he was crucified before he died. Three facts everyone agrees on. Now, there's three facts after he died that everyone agrees on as well. And again, what we're doing is building a historical case for did Jesus rise from the dead or is it just Sunday school wishful thinking? Number, uh, the, the first of these facts or number four of the facts everyone agrees on is he was placed in a tomb. And we know this when you look in Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, the, the four Gospels, when you look in Acts, when you look later even in 1 Corinthians 15, 
uh, and maybe one or two other places, it talks about Jesus being placed in a tomb. Now, somebody could say, oh, hang on, you can't trust the Gospels. They're trying to promote Jesus. Well, you can trust the Gospels because, again, we're in a court of law. We're looking at eyewitness testimony. And you say, oh, but somebody says, well, maybe they didn't write the Gospels for another hundred years. Well, that could be another podcast, but but let me just... let me just stipulate this, that, that the Gospels were written within a generation of Jesus' uh, death, and that means they're written by people who were eyewitnesses or who knew eyewitnesses. Luke mm-hmm. wasn't an eyewitness, but who, who knew them. And why that's important is that they can easily be contradicted. The other reason is when you look even before the crucifixion, the disciples come off horribly in these, no- <laughs> in these <laughs> narratives. If you're writing it 100 years later to make your church leaders look good, they come off terribly. They're denying him and betraying him and uh, always fighting with each other. Who's the best? This does not sound like something you're putting it. Like when we, if we were going to write a little account of the history of Grace Fellowship Church, if we were making it up to make Grace Fellowship Church look good, we wouldn't talk about Ben and Jason and Kent fighting. But if actually Ben and Jason and Kent fought at a certain point and everyone knew it, you'd have to include it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, just like you were saying, if you're the early church, you probably erase at least one of those of Peter's rejections, right? I mean, three is a little much. Right. So uh, placed in a tomb. He was placed in a tomb, uh, attested to all through through the, the New Testament, but including the four Gospels. Nobody contradicts that. Everyone says there is a tomb. His body's placed in there. Whose tomb? What happens? Well, that's what we're going to get to. But two more facts that everyone agrees on. Three days later, the tomb was empty. Everyone agrees on that. Mm. So now we have to explain an empty tomb. And then there's a fourth, or or, or, not a fourth, (laughs) a a last thing. So he's placed in a tomb. The tomb is empty three days later. And now there's a last fact that everyone agrees to as we're considering this. And here it is that Jesus' followers thought they saw him alive. Mm. So whether they saw him alive or not is not history. We'll, we'll look at that. But they yeah. thought they did. They were convinced they did. And that's the historical piece. Mm. So he lived. People knew him. He was crucified. He was placed in a tomb. And now the last two are so important. The tomb was empty, and people thought they saw him after he rose from the dead. Okay. Let's talk a little bit more about the tomb and the appearances. N.T. Wright, who's a great uh, scholar and historian, he makes a big deal, and I think it's a convincing deal, Mm. (laughs) of the fact that the the twin facts of the empty tomb and that his followers thought they saw him alive do more than any other historical matter to convince us that the resurrection of Jesus Christ really is historically tenable position. It's not wishful thinking. If the tomb is empty, how did it get empty? I mean, that's what we have to ask. Like, that's the next thing. If everyone agrees the tomb was empty on Sunday morning, how did it get empty? When a lot of the options seem like really bad ones after you kind of parse them out. Well, it really does. I mean, did the disciples steal the body? With the guards not knowing. Yeah. (laughs) With the guards not knowing. And, And by the way, the disciples didn't expect him to rise. Remember, they all fled. Oh, yeah. Nobody, Jesus knew he was going to rise. Nobody got it. And the Gospels take great pains to say, we didn't understand this at the time, but now we do. <laughs> like, they're being real. 
So yeah. they weren't expecting him to rise. So yeah, of course they're gonna they're gonna uh, overcome these guards and yeah. take the body that they weren't expecting anything to have. They weren't trying to make up a story. They were all hiding, crying, and and fearful that yeah. they were going to be on the cross next. Yep. Seriously, and I'm I, I mean I'm not dogging them. I would be the same thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so the disciples stole the body. That's how the tomb got empty. Not a great explanation. Yeah. How about this one? The enemies of Jesus stole the body. Mm-hmm. Well, here's an even bigger problem. What's their motive? Yeah. And why don't you just produce the body when the message goes out? Yeah. So I, I always liked the one where Jesus, who just recently was crucified, just got up and rolled the <laughs> massive stone away. <laughs> I love this. Like, maybe, but probably not. People call this the swoon theory, which oh. even the name of it I love, the swoon theory, yeah. where you swoon on the cross, and then in the cool of the tomb, you wake up two days later. Because that doesn't take much faith to believe. <laughs> <laughs> you think a Roman cohort doesn't know how to kill someone? No. <laughs> I mean, you can just stop there. You think some guy who's been flogged to within an inch of his life and then crucified for hours and then thrown in this tomb in suffocating linen, you think he's got enough strength two days later to push a one-ton rock out of the way? No. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, somebody said, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's what it sounds yeah. like. So the tomb was empty because the disciples stole it, the enemies stole it, he swooned and got better. I don't think so. Yeah. Or maybe he rose. Maybe there was a miracle that God raised him from the dead. But empty tomb. Those are the four big explanations. He rose or else disciples or enemies stole the body or else he swooned. All the other kind of ideas, they all fall into those. Somebody stole the body, he got better, or he really rose. Mm-hmm. The best explanation, and, and Occam's razor, the idea is the simplest explanation is the best explanation. Yeah. Uh, it, it, historically, the fact that God would intervene and raise him actually is a simpler, more satisfying explanation to the historical data yeah. than unexpecting disciples do it or then enemies who don't want it to happen do it and never produce the body to say, yeah. you people are idiots. He's right here and he's still dead. Mm. They would do that in a heartbeat. Or that he got better after coming out of a coma. I mean, come on. All right. So then we have appearances. So uh, he was placed in a tomb. The tomb was empty. And the, and the last thing of, of uh, these agreed to facts is that the people thought he, they saw him. Um, more than a dozen times in the New Testament, there are at least a dozen different times that the risen Jesus appeared within the first 40 days after Easter Sunday. Mm. So on at least a dozen different occasions, people attest to the fact that they saw Jesus who died and still had stuff to, uh, wounds to look at. Yeah. So we're not just talking one guy. We're not just talking an acid trip. We're not, you know, we're talking different people, different times of day, different geography, city, country, Galilee, Jerusalem, people who ex- uh, uh, loved him and were, were excited about it, the two women or the guys on the road to Damascus, people who didn't even want him. Think of Acts 9 and Paul on the road yeah. to Damascus, which that's later than 40 days. Most of the appearances, all of them except Paul's that we know of, are within the 40 days. And then they all attest to watching him ascend into heaven and the appearances stop. Hmm. So it's not like they can go on for the next five or 10 years. Oh, he's over there in the desert. Oh, he's down here at the sea. Oh, he's up here on the mountain. 
everybody knows the appearance has stopped. Those 40 days were over, and now there's a new era. And of course, 10 days later, the Spirit comes, yep. the Pentecost. So what do, what do these appearances tell us? Well, how, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and his body is still somewhere, all these people lied? All these people hallucinated? Or somewhere later, they created a legend? Hmm. Lied, hallucinated, or legend. That's really, if Jesus is still dead somewhere, they all have to have lied, or they all hallucinated, or somehow later on, a generation or two later, they made up this story. Okay, lied. Do you think people are going to die for a lie? No. No, they don't do it. You and I know this. We talk about this all the time. Watergate. Yep. They couldn't keep anything secret, those plumbers. (laughs) In 1974, as soon as the, the threat of jail time came, they said, ah, who are we going to serve up as a sacrificial lamb? Let's make it Chuck Colson. Mm. They send him to jail. I mean, you know, and one other guy, I think. Nobody else goes to jail. They can't keep it secret. Yep. You don't die for a lie. You offer up a scapegoat. scapegoat. Yep. All of the disciples died martyrdom death. And yet all of them just concocted it in the upper room. Hey, let's just say he dies, so we'll get, you know, we'll get yeah. nice life and comfort and a lot of a lot of people following us. Absolutely not. And it's not like these were clean deaths. Like these were horrific oh, things. Bad things. Yeah. I mean martyrdom. I mean we talked about it on a podcast episode yeah. a few ago. It is disastrous. So they didn't lie. It strains the the credibility of someone who's offering that to say, oh, the only reason they say there's appearances is because they concocted this story. Yeah. Now the, the, the first generation that saw Jesus during those 40 days, they're not making up this lie. Hmm. But they believe they saw him because there's so many uh, accounts of it. Ten in the upper room, eleven in the upper room, seven disciples fishing, eleven on the mountain in Galilee, 500 at one time, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us. James, the brother of Jesus, who sees the risen Jesus, 1 Corinthians 15, 7 tells us. And then as they watched Jesus ascend to heaven, however many were there that day, at least 12, mm-hmm. probably 20, maybe more. Well, maybe they all hallucinated. Maybe they really believed it, but it didn't happen. They just all hallucinated it. Yeah. Well, all the different conditions, morning, evening, city, country, alone, in groups, it, that's a lot of hallucinations. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, uh, and then abruptly stopping after 40 days. Like, why not? Why doesn't it trickle out over the next year yeah. or the next two months after that or something like that? Like, it's, it's, it's a clear, defined period, and the ascension into heaven stops those, and there's no more hallucinations. That's not how it works. If you've convinced yourself, worked yourself up into a lather and a frenzy, you're going to go on for years and keep having more visions so that you keep getting more places for pilgrimages. Mm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, maybe 100, 200 years later, the, the church makes up this legend. Well, as we've talked again about uh, earlier about the, the uh, gospel accounts, these were written in the era of the eyewitnesses. And, and, and there's a really, really good case for why anyone who's saying that the gospels were written 100, 200, 300 is just wrong. There are, there are fragments of the Gospels that we have unearthed from within one generation of eyewitnesses. Yeah. And if there's fragments of them ripped up, you think how many more didn't survive. These things are widespread by the time John the Apostle is on the island of Patmos. Mm. It's not, they didn't make it up later. 
It's not a legend, at least if you believe in archaeology. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so empty tomb. There's great explanation uh, trying to show why it's empty, but really the best explanation is that he rose. Appearances, well, they didn't lie. They didn't hallucinate. It's not all a legend fabricated later. Maybe he really rose and he really showed himself. And I think, I honestly think, and I didn't realize this connection until about five years ago, that that's the point of the ascension hmm. from, a, from a helping, is that, is that now we know it's over. That era is over and now we're yeah. waiting for the next era. There's a few other circumstantial evidences that point to the resurrection. Now that we know the tomb is empty and people thought they saw the risen Jesus, and so far in this really quick uh, overview, we see the best explanation for both of those is a risen Jesus. Here's some circumstantial evidence. Change in the disciples. Pre-resurrection, they're scaredy cats. Post-resurrection, they're taken on the world, fearless unto death. Second Explosive growth of the early church. Great success of the early church. What accounts for that? Someone, we have to account for that somehow. And if Jesus didn't rise, you have to account for that in some other way. I'll give you this one. The complete disregard for the tomb as a place of veneration, Hmm. as a place of pilgrimage, as a place of... If Jesus' bones were still in there... (laughs) <laughs> they would have gone. Yeah. But it didn't matter because the Spirit had come, and now it's go outward with the message, you know. How about this one? The conversion of Jesus' brother James and of persecutor Paul, or mm. Saul as he's known. What accounts for that if not a vision by the risen Christ? Yep. You know, I mean, it's just pretty, as well as several, I mean, all the way through Acts, it talks about priests coming to Christ and Pharisees coming to Christ. These are the very people in the group that crucified him. Yeah. What accounts for that? It's hard to ever convince a family member of something that you're actually not. (laughs) It's so true. (laughs) Oh, it's so true. Okay. I mean, this is, to me, the historical case, as you look at these things, you see that the empty tomb and the appearances and that the appearances stop. The best explanation for both of those is that God raised Jesus from the dead. Yeah, one of the most helpful of those circumstantial evidences for me is that first one that you mentioned, like the the change in the disciples, how it goes from, I mean, just as you were saying, the scaredy cats who constantly didn't get things to the to this almost just like force to be reckoned with that. And mm-hmm. I mean, that may, that builds the church mm-hmm. and what is such an incredible transformation. And I, I mean, if I just look practically at life now and I see these transformations, it's, I mean, these are biblical transformations to the point where they've experienced something that they had never seen before. Yeah. Almost like a resurrection. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I want to mention one more. Um, we, we mentioned N.T. Wright. He makes a good point of how the gospel uh, writers write about the resurrection. So at the, the last mm. chapter of each gospel and two last chapters of John are resurrection narratives. And he says they're written really differently than the rest of the gospels. For mm. one thing, none of them in any of those uh, five chapters, because John has two, uh, in any of those five chapters, they're not quoting the Old Testament in the rest of the Gospels, they're quoting, alluding to the Old Testament all the time. Because this is brand new. Yeah. <laughs> but it's eyewitness. 
So they're not trying to fabricate a, and see, we knew it was going to happen. Right. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a funny way, N.T. Wright also notes, and, and I think he's right here, a funny way that uh, Jesus is portrayed. Sometimes it's in victory. Sometimes he's mistaken as a gardener. Hmm. Sometimes he walks through walls. Sometimes he's cooking fish. Like, it's just a lot of different picture, but it doesn't, it's like nothing we've seen before. Sometimes they recognize him. Sometimes they don't. Yeah. So it's fascinating. There's yep. something special and new about Jesus and how they do it. But my favorite one is the fact that the gospel writers put the first message of the resurrection on the lips of women. Hmm. We don't care about that today. It makes sense to us. But in, in the first century, a woman is not a worthy uh, testimony bearer. Her testimony is yeah. not even allowed in court. But God says the first evangelists of the resurrection are mm. going to be women. And I love that about the Lord. Mm. But if you're writing this story, crafting it to elevate the church, you're not putting Mary Magdalene in pole position. Yep. <laughs> I think it, it goes to the authenticity of these narratives. Yeah, I think these are just helpful little things that just reminded, like, if you're going to make this stuff up, you wouldn't do it this way. You wouldn't write it this way. Yeah. You would make it in a way that, oh, of course, Peter's the one who got there first, and this is exactly how it happened, and you'd write in the same format, and it would just make sense. Yep, yep. But it being a little different, and I just, I find it helpful. Just to, I, N.T. Wright was very helpful for me, as we, I mean, just as we were discussing this, but also just reading through it as well. Mm. So, well, I mean, what we found is between this tension, we, there's, there's an incredible place to find life, to hold on, to have a, a helpful and strong footing. So, Jason, what do we do with this? <laughs> yeah. I think that's the million-dollar question of how we take this from purely something academic that we now that's helpful and good that we know, but what do we do? How does it change us? I think there's just a couple of things, and I'll, yeah. I'll launch one, and I know you got at least one. Um, to me... Just to be reminded again, this isn't wishful thinking, but that Jesus actually rose. It just makes me want to talk to him more. Mm. <laughs> the real live Jesus. Like when we pray, when we read scripture or talk to him or sing about him, we're not talking to or praying to or singing about a dead guy. Yeah. But he's alive and he's more alive than we'll ever be. And we're going to be one day when we're resurrected. But it, yep. the, the, to me, it's a relational thing. Like, you and I, all of us, can actually speak to the one and love the one and relate to the one who died and rose again. Yeah. And he's there. And I love, I mean, how Paul writes about this, that like if this thing is true and it is, then it changes everything. Yeah. And I, I mean, so, and that's basically what, how I think this applies to our life, the power and hope of the resurrection, mm. one in general, but two specifically for each one of us in our lives. Like if the father can raise the son, he can raise us too. Yeah. We need that's to so not good. forget that, that when we are stuck in terrible, struggling, just hurtful, bad, low moments, if God can give life to a dead man, he can bring life into any situation. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter, again, how, how high the highs are or how low the lows are. There is no place that is unreachable for the Lord. Mm -hmm. And that is an incredible hope to remember. Yeah, because we all have things that look dead in our lives, relationships yeah. that look dead or hopes that look dead or whatever. But God's a God of resurrection, and that's a great promise. Amen, amen. And the last thought here for us living out our lives this Holy Week and then every week is this, when we come across people who say, oh, I could never believe in a religion that worships a dead guy, 
Yeah, we get that people don't rise from the dead. That's why this is so unbelievable. Yeah. And, and the confidence historically that Jesus did rise from the dead is there. That, that's apart from the confidence you can have experientially by faith, by talking mm. to him. But even historically, for someone who doesn't yet know Jesus, the, the case is great. We as believers can have tremendous historical confidence. We don't have to be sort of, well, uh, let me cross my fingers and hope it's true. I mean, it's here. There's no stronger mm. fact of history. So true. Jason, thank you so much just for walking us through all this and just, I think, helping compile for us. One, again, the knowledge to be able to just have this at our fingertips, but also how do, how do we apply this and how do we make this a part of our life and our walk with the Lord? And so, friends, as you know, we are traversing Holy Week, making mm -hmm. our way from Palm Sunday all the way to Easter Sunday. If you find yourself kind of caught in that tension between the facts that we know and the beliefs we hold, we can all know that we have a firm foundation on which we stand, stand in the Lord, that He resurrected. Yeah. And all that that can mean for us. And so, friends, like this, share it, send it to a friend. Happy Easter. This is a ministry of Grace Fellowship Church in Kinston, North Carolina. Visit gracekinston.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.